what's one mistake you've made as an agency owner you'll never forget? Several guests on this show have responded to this question the exact same way. I wish I'd invested in my own financial literacy sooner. But what financial metrics should you focus on now? Even if you answer that question, how do you and your team impact those financial metrics today? To answer these questions, I asked Ryan Watson from Upsourced Accounting to join me on Agency Life. At Upsourced, Ryan and the team help agencies just like yours avoid financial pitfalls and achieve financial health. Ryan's a former agency COO and CFO himself, so he comes with financial know-how, but also real agency life experience. In today's episode, you're going to learn the five financial metrics successful agencies get right. And this comes from Upsource's own analysis of their client data. You're going to get an introduction to the hierarchy of financial needs that's going to help you determine the right financial metric to prioritize now. And you'll get the building blocks to a successful project profitability analysis. This is what Ryan says is the most important thing you can do to get a handle on your agency's gross margin. As we dive in, let's hear from Ryan about a time an agency thought they had a handle on their financial goals, but they were actually looking at the wrong metric from the very start. You know, when you think about the world of financial metrics, it's not really a one size fits all. It's very situational. What you should be focused on is should be limited to your very specific circumstances. That was true in this case too. This particular owner who runs sales, like a lot of our owners do, you know, ultimately she was very focused on, okay, how much revenue do I need to generate for my agency in order to meet my fixed monthly obligations, in order for us to make payroll, in order for me to earn a profit, those sorts of things, right? What's that What's that number look like? And I think the thing that we helped her understand is there's this term in the sort of agency finance world called AGI, agency gross income. Agency gross income refers to basically net revenue, revenue that's really yours that you get to use for the things in your agency. That's not a term that they had thought about or had been looking at. And so in her case, in any case, agency gross income is the revenue that you have less out-of-pocket costs. If you're a media agency, that's the media. If you're uh, you're relying on a lot of third-party freelancers, that's revenue less those third-party freelancers, right? And so when she was going out to say, okay, how much new business do I need to generate? How much revenue do I need to generate? The actual question is, how much AGI do I need to generate? Because I'm trying to pay for the people who work here and not necessarily for the people who don't. And so this was an agency who felt like, hey, I think we feel pretty good about our sales goals. But as we reframed that quarter in AGI terms, we were sort of woefully short. And so again, pretty just very specific example of just making sure we're focused on the the right metrics and we understand the drivers of our p our profitability. That is such a good example. And it's something that I've heard Drew McClellan at AMI, ah, use, agency, yes. management, uh-huh. agency Management Institute, right? Really harp on this of like top line revenue is what, you know, the, the awards are based on, what yep. you talk about with other agency owners, what, what's your top line revenue? Sure. But a lot of times that can be severely inflated, especially if you're doing a lot of paid media management. And if you're passing that through, right, you really want to look at not that top line revenue, but at that agency. AGI of your agency gross income or adjusted gross income. I've heard kind of both of those used. Yeah. And I think either way, that that acronym, AGI, looking at that and not top line revenue is one of those kind of do this, not that when it comes to financial metrics, right? Totally. Exactly. 
Yep. I heard you guys talking recently about five things that successful agencies get right. What I love about what you guys do as an outsourced accounting firm, specifically for agencies, is you've got a lot of benchmark data of, you know, forget the conversations over drinks or what people say about, oh, we're doing this and we're doing this so well. You guys, uh, you know, kind of have the the peak behind the curtain. So we're going to talk about five specific areas that you guys see the most successful agencies performing in well. But if you're listening to this and you get into some of these, we're going to go deeper than that. We're going to look at, as Ryan was mentioning earlier, which one should be most important for you based on your context. But I think it does start with kind of pointing to this vision of what does good look like? So let's kick it off with this list of five, uh, and we're going to count them down from five down to one, leading to the one that you have found is kind of the most impactful, right, Ryan? The first one, number five on the list is percentage of recurring revenue versus new logo revenue. Talk to us about this one, define it, and and tell us what some of the most successful agencies are doing when it comes to this financial metric. Yeah. And so really this gets to, if I look at the revenue that I'm generating in a year, let's say I'm a $3 million AGI business, of that $3 million, how much of that came from clients that I have worked with already, existing relationships versus How much of that came from new relationships I generated in the current year? What I would say, the flip side is there is no more difficult business. And by the way, a lot of agencies are this, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to demonize this. It's just very hard. There's no harder business than that one to $2 million agency where I go out and create logos for mid-market businesses, right? My client is five to 10 million and I'm creating a logo for him. Well, guess what? That business cannot afford a logo more often than like once a decade, if that, right? So when you sell that and you deliver it, it's done. There's, you're not going back to that well. There's not. And so you, you may have a killer, a record breaking Q1 and then Q2, you get to start all over again and you could fail in Q2 because there's just no stacking of revenue. And so the most successful agencies have, I mean, obviously recurring revenue is the holy grail, a retainer base. But I'm not even talking necessarily about having a retainer base. You don't have to have a retainer. It could be such that, you know, if you you work with Salesforce and so you did an event for Salesforce, Dreamcast or whatever the thing is, you you did some branding for the, the Salesforce summer event and then you you created some decks for uh, the, the Salesforce marketing cloud and you've kind of matriculated your way in the organization, but it's a land and expand versus a, I've got to go hunt for my food every quarter. So anyway, looking at percentage of my overall revenue coming from existing relationships, really good agencies are north of 50%, ideally 70 to 80%, and uh, obviously, you know, 20% or, or you know, 20 to 50% of new business. So that's that's number five. Yeah, I love that. Two things there. I love that you gave some benchmarks to to shoot for, for one. And two, you made the distinction of recurring revenue, not just being you know someone that you have on retainer or a recurring revenue model, but uh, revenue that's coming from an existing relationship. So we can actually broaden that. So that might be an encouraging thing to someone who says, okay, today we're at you know 50% new logo revenue and 50% uh, retainer. Well, actually, some of that work is with existing customers where we've landed and expanded. Number four on your list is all about forecasted utilization. Obviously, workload capacity utilization are some things that we really try to empower the agencies and professional service firms that are on teamwork.com. So this is near and dear to our heart. Totally. You guys get it. Tell us what you're seeing here on number four as this metric that a lot of great agencies that are succeeding get right. 
Yeah. So, so good question. So what we're getting at there is the best agencies are, well, first of all, calculating the idea of forecasted utilization. And the important part here is that the best agencies are making hiring and staffing decisions using that information. So agency owners are entrepreneurs. I'm an entrepreneur. As entrepreneurs, there's a lot, a lot of things that are true about us and not least of which we are optimists. It's the only reason that we've chosen to do this, right? The average outcome of owning a business isn't necessarily a great one, but the the top quartile of outcomes is is out of this world great. And so the reason we all do this is because we as optimists think that we can achieve the top quartile of outcomes, which is why we've done it. So we're optimists. But when we're thinking about our, our business and we're trying to match supply, or the, the staff to the demand, our business, we can't be optimists, right? We can't say, you know what? My team doesn't have enough work to do, but got this great, I got this, I had a great sales call this morning, right? Oh, we had great vibes. I think this thing's going to come through, right? That doesn't work, right? What the best agencies do is they use a, an objective mathematical, like a weighted system to say, okay, this is what I have contracted. Like this is the work that I have contracted. And this is how much of my team's time I need for that. This is my utilization on booked work. And then here's my pipeline. And based on the stages and ideally speaking, some history, I'm going to apply some weightings, right? So that wonderful sales call I just had, well, unfortunately, that's the first one I had. And so I can only apply a 10% weighting to the probability of that thing closing. And so while I'm really excited by it, it's not going to move the needle meaningfully in the metric that matters the most relative to should I hire or do I need to downsize, which is weighted utilization. So the best agency owners are very objective in their assessment of of, uh, hiring. Absolutely. And you're right to call that out. It is a, a feature, not a bug, I think, when it comes to agency owners being optimists because they wouldn't get as far as they have. If you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, that's me. Don't be discouraged that that optimism is all a bad thing. It's gotten you to to where you are, but you do need to temper it a little bit, especially when it comes to forecasting, when it comes to utilization. I literally, I was on a team at an agency and the founder was uh, taking some sales calls. And I remember one time he hopped off a call and was like, we just closed this. And I was like, they signed on the first call. (laughs) He's like, no, but they were really excited. And they said, yes. I'm like, they said, quote unquote, yes, does not mean that that was closed, like to your point. And so I've witnessed that firsthand. Also, the other thing you said about a lot of agencies not even calculating their utilization is a problem that we saw in our state of agency operations report. We'll link to that if you're watching on YouTube down in the description, if you're listening in the show notes, because if you download that, you check out the utilization area, you'll see some some interesting stats that are really highlighting the problem that Ryan's talking about. All right, Ryan. So number five, uh, we started out with percentage of recurring revenue versus new logo revenue. Number four, they're, they have a handle on their forecasted utilization. What's number three on our list of the five things that great agencies are nailing when it comes to these financial metrics? Yeah. And so this one, really straightforward, easy to internalize. It's having runway, cash on hand, right? So, you know, we- Seems simple, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. So, so you know, look, the deal with agencies, particularly those even, even that have a high degree of existing revenue, if you're not a perfectly recurring revenue business, you're, you're going to have peaks and troughs in terms of cash flow, right? Like you're going to have big projects that collect money and you're going to have periods where you're in between big projects, right? And your job is to match supply your your labor with the demand of those folks. But it's never going to be perfect. And so what we have to try to smooth out those peaks and troughs is cash runway, right? So that 
when you have a down month, you're not looking around white knuckling every payroll and thinking, oh my gosh, do we need to like let people go? No, right? You, you have some cash to provide some buffer against those things. And the best agencies have a substantial amount of that buffer. We, we often suggest three months of fixed operating expenses as your cash buffer sitting on hand. Ideally speaking, you'd have access to a line of credit above and beyond that, right? To give you ample ample, uh, you know, runway for, like I said, the, the traditional ups and downs. So that's often indicative of a strong agency. Yeah. Like we said, it's simple, but oftentimes the simple things are not necessarily easy. And I I've talked to, you know, a lot of agency owners that going back to the, the last one on the list might be very optimistic and haven't necessarily set that specific number. Is it, is it three months plus a line of credit? What is it? So good to hear from again, you guys as a financial partner to a lot of agencies, seeing what does good really look like and dropping a very specific recommendation there. All right. We've got two more on this list, and then we're going to get into some tactical things on what should be the most important thing for you to work on when it comes to your financial metrics as an agency based on some of the qualifying criteria Ryan's going to get to in a bit. But before we get to that, we've got two and one on the list here. What's number two? Talk to us about operating leverage on our list of five today, Ryan. Well, this won't be very satisfying for folks who don't have it because if you don't, there's not a lot of things you can do to change it in that immediate, in your, you know, in the immediate <laughs> term, right? The operating sure. leverage is really just saying, Hey, look, if you are a small agency, it's somewhat difficult to earn the sort of target profit, right? So what do I mean? So a traditional, like what we say you want to target for operating profit is like 20%, 20% of your AGI, you should, you should earn in profit, right? But when you're a really small agency, there are things that you have to pay for in operating expenses, right? You might need a building because you have a, you know, a local team, you have to pay for insurance and you have to pay for utilities and, you know, any number of things, right? And so those things, when you're small, are sort of spread out over a smaller base of revenue than when you're larger. As you grow, yes, it's true that some of those things will grow with you, but they never grow to the same degree. They don't grow at the same pace, right? If you quadruple revenue, you're not going to quadruple your office space necessarily. You're not going to quadruple like your, uh, you know, any number of others, like uh, you know, fixed overhead kinds of costs, like your insurance is probably going to stay the same. And so what happens is this concept of operating leverage. Operating leverage just means my revenue is growing at a greater pace then the cost of my sort of SGNA, sales, general, and administrative expenses, my operating expenses. And so all that to say is the agencies that are the most profitable are bigger. <laughs> that's just part of it. They're bigger. They have the benefit of operating leverage. And so if you're a small agency, that's just something that you can look forward to. If you keep doing it, your profit margin will grow for free as long as you're being disciplined uh, with regard to budgeting. That's the concept of operating leverage. Yeah. I love the way that you brought it back to the encouragement that, you know, you starting out like, Hey, this isn't something they just a lever. You can just move today. If you're sure. you know, a $1 million agency or you're at an earlier stage, but the encouragement is that if certain things feel hard, then they will get easier. If you stay on this path to, you know, as we kind of outline them here at teamwork.com, deliver, grow and scale as the three stages of an agency. Initially, you're just trying to deliver the work, right? And then you're trying to figure <laughs> 
figure out to, how to grow. And then it, where scale really comes in is you do get the benefit of that operating leverage. So some things exactly do right. get easier. It's like when you're talking to another parent of that's, you know, what are those teen years like? It seems like, well, that part's harder, but oh, yeah. this and this and this are easier, right? Yep, totally. Yep, that's exactly right. Awesome. So let's get to number one on the list of your five things successful agencies get right. What's top of your list? What's number one that you see most often and what can listeners do about it, Ryan? Yeah, totally. So look, this is the business. This is what we are. And this is what we're here to do, which is to deliver the work we sell with excellence on time, on budget. And so the best agencies are the ones that are very, very intentional at measuring project profit. And I'm going to go into more detail about this here in the next segment. But, you know, ultimately what we care about as an agency is gross margin, right? Gross margin is this metric that measures how much money did I make on the work I delivered? The biggest driver of gross margin is the actual project level profit, right? I sold a $100,000 logo and branding project and it cost me $40,000 $40,000 in time and some out of pocket, I made 60%. That project margin, the best agencies, not just have like a, you know, the agencies that maybe struggle are the ones that have some sort of intuitive feel. These ones went pretty well. These ones, ah, that client wasn't great. That one kind of fell off the wheels. And so then you ask, oh, okay, so like, what was the, what was the margin on that one? And what was the margin on this one? It's like, ah, I don't know. You kind of get those sideways looks of, um, yeah, exactly. So the best agencies, because here's the thing, the solution to your project margin problem is often not just a blanket. Oh yeah. We're just not very good at pricing. Like, Oh, it cost me a hundred dollars on average for my people. And I've been charging one twenty. Whoops. That was silly. I should, I should charge more. That's not the solution, right? We're all much smarter and more capable in that. We, it ends up being far more idiosyncratic. We have a bad handoff between sales and project management. We have scoping problems. We don't know where to push back, what, you know, any number of things. The only way that you can sort of identify, diagnose, and solve those is brick by brick and doing it through project specific profitability analysis. Best agencies do it well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love it, man. All right. So we're going to recap our our five here, Do it. but not to worry if you're listening to this and you're like, whoa, man, five out of five, we're, we're, we're striking out. You know, I thought three strikes and we're out and we got five and we're still striking out. <laughs> not to worry. We're going to put this into some context back to what Ryan mentioned toward the top is that what should be most important, what you should prioritize is based on some factors, some context of your, your size, your revenue, and some other contributing factors so that you can prioritize what should be number one for you. And then as Ryan mentioned here in a bit, we're going to talk about running a project profitability analysis. What are some of those steps you can drill in by project, by client, by service line, and look at what are the patterns so that you can actually impact this number one on the list, the project profit margin. So, but just if you're taking notes and you want to keep these in front of you for the future, number five was percentage of recurring revenue versus 
new logo revenue. Number four was forecasted utilization. Number three was amount of cash on hand. Number two was operating leverage. Again, encouragement as you continue to build this thing that you set out to build as an agency owner. And number one was project profit margins. Now that segues really nicely, Ryan, into this visual I've seen from you. For those of you who are watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see as Ryan shares his screen. If you're listening uh, in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or otherwise, we'll do our best to share this so that you can understand it. But this is uh, something I'm seeing from you and the team at Upsource, Ryan, the hierarchy of financial needs. Walk us through you know, what this is and how it applies to everything we've been talking about so far today with agencies wanting to figure out what are the financial metrics that should be important and how do we impact them? Great segue. So again, it was, and you even kind of said this, like, oh boy, I've struck out five out of five. What do I, what do I do now? Right. I, you know, you've just told me five things I should care about. And, and, and it's that situation that motivated or, or what, what was this sort of impetus for us to create this, right? It's this, you know, if you're, if you're an agency and you're struggling with profit, you go, you Google, Hey, what is our, um, you Google, like, what metrics should I care about? Right. What should I be focused on? And then you see this like laundry list of these five things, or you hear a guy like me say, well, here's, here's five things that those do well. Okay, great. But like, I can't, should I do them all at once? Should I, should I measure them then? And the answer is definitely not, right? Because while there are many metrics that could apply to a particular agency, given where you are in your situation, there's probably just one or two that matter and one or two that you should be really focused on. And part of the reason is because well, it doesn't do you any good to try to look at, you know, let's say you're not, you know, you're not profitable. Let's say your gross margin is bad. Your operating profit's bad. You probably don't have a lot, a lot of runway. Like it doesn't do you a lot of emotional good to look at like five or six or seven or 10, like flashing red KPIs. That stinks. Right. But also these things are not independent. These metrics are not independent of one another. Right. So what makes the most sense is to focus on the highest leverage, highest priority metric for you and your situation. Fix that and then reevaluate because the wonderful thing that will happen is when you solve one thing, you're going to solve a bunch of other things too. So the path to financial freedom as an agency owner is through this hierarchy of financial needs. And that's why we created this. So anyway, let me just walk through and Logan, feel free to stop me at any point. What I can do is I'll go through and just name all five and then we can circle back around and, and talk about each of them. So quickly solvencies at the bottom, right? So again, this is like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I can't worry about self-actualization until I have shelter. I can't worry about like predictable revenue growth if I can't make payroll next week, right? If I can't make payroll next week, then very few other things matter. I got to figure out how I'm going to get cash like now, right? And looking at my re- my sales pipeline probably doesn't do me a lot of good because I mean, there's no way I'm going to take an opportunity and close it and invoice it and collect it in order to make payroll. That's not going to happen. So if I'm in a solvency crisis, then I have to think about, you know, how do I solve that first? So solvency is the bottom. Can I make payroll? Next is gross margin, which we talked about already. We'll talk about more. And gross margin is simply, the calculation is revenue less cost of sales. In other words, it measures how much money am I making on the core service, ignoring all the quote overhead things, gross margin. Third is, so if I've solved solvency, I'm earning a good gross margin. Now I'm I'm taking that gross margin that I'm I'm earning and I'm stocking it away in the way of cash reserves, which we've already talked about, right? I want to create that three-month safety net. Fourth is net profit margin. And so this is really, hey, after everything, I make revenue after I pay for everything, 
cogs, operating expenses, everything? Am I making money, right? Am I actually earning a profit? That's why I'm here. We look for 20, 20% or so is kind of the, the rule of thumb there. And then uh, fifth and final is predictable revenue growth, right? Am I generating revenue through more means than just organic, referral, word of mouth, right? And ultimately that's the unlock for your agency to go from what we call uh, build mode to what we call grow mode. But basically you're, it unlocks the next stage of growth for your agency. So that's our hierarchy of financial needs. And the way that we apply it is we go through from the bottom to the top and we ask the question, do we have a solvency problem? Yes or no. Do we have a gross margin problem? Yes or no. And as soon as we answer the question, yes, forget about the rest of the hierarchy. Just put it out of your mind because we're focused on that step. That's what we're doing. So, all right, I'm gonna stop sharing my screen. And then Logan, we can we can go to whichever part of here you want to. Yeah, I love this because I think so often these conversations around financial metrics, one, I, several guests on this show, when I've asked them, you know, what's one mistake you've made as an agency owner that you'll never forget in our fast five segment yeah. that we have on every episode, they say not understanding and investing in my financial literacy early enough. Right. And then I talk to a lot of agency owners, both on the show, on LinkedIn and, and offline that say, you know, they're trying to understand it, but then they kind of get overwhelmed, which I like what you said here of kind of taking it step by step. The comparison to Maslow's hierarchy of needs makes a ton of sense. That's that one's just sticking in my mind. I guess uh, from here, I think it would be good to walk through each of them yeah. uh, briefly, Ryan, and say, okay, if you're at this stage, here's one, two, three things I would be focused on to address this issue to, again, give you that focus and prioritization. So yeah. let's say you're at step number one and you're working on solvency, what's your advice for agency owners who are on that step of the cool. uh, of the stairway? Yeah. And I'll go back to the, the visual just so you can see it. So look, if I have a solvency crisis, ultimately my ability to maneuver is going to be very dependent on my personal situation. But what we are focused on there is how do we get cash? That's it, right? I can't make my payroll. And so the first question is, how do I get cash Often I'm looking at AR. Do I have aged AR? Do I just have AR where I have some, are there levers for me to pull to try to create incentives for current customers to pay quicker? Such as? Uh, yeah. So certainly could provide, you know, certainly could provide a discount for an early pay. I would certainly be looking at, you know, I have, I have a number of retainer clients who are manually sending the same invoice every month and then getting paid. Let's get somebody on an automatic payment. That's better for them, better for me. So, um, you know, I'd say, funny enough, the, the number one solution to aged AR is just intent. It's just getting on the phone. Like, I'll give you a quick, a brief anecdote. I ran an agency before my current role. And when I started, our average days in AR were like 95, right? We worked with large brands, so that wasn't crazy, crazy. And over the course of a year, we took that down to like 37, right? So that how, how many days it took us to collect an average AR. And the number one unlock for us was picking up the phone to this aged AR and saying, hey, what's going on here? And the answer was often, oh yeah, you sent that invoice to me. Ah, it doesn't, it's not supposed to go to me. It's supposed to go to my AR department. Oh, let me give you the instructions, right? And so, you know, what, what you think is like somebody failing to pay or unable to pay, what's reality is it's just a misunderstanding. It's just communication. So anyway, really focus on AR. That's a, that's an opportunity. And then, you know, they're less elegant, but uh, other solutions just look like, you know, is there, do I have money that I need to put into this business or other sort of uh, at cash that I can tap? The other thing that you want to look at at the solvency stage is simply like, this is a crisis. If you 
You're not in rare company. Many agencies do struggle to make payroll at times, but you shouldn't, you shouldn't let that normalize the situation. Uh, unless there are extraneous circumstances, you should be looking aggressively at reducing your expenses so that you can extend your runway. When you do find this cash, you got to find a way to make it last longer. So that's solvency. And that's very much like, this is triage mode. I'm an EMT. I'm trying to resuscitate this thing. And that's your, that's your focus. You got to put those ideas on hold that are at step number five of, exactly. you know, oh, I got this great idea of how we're going to scale in this new service offering and those sorts of things. You really got to be diligent about just cutting those off, putting the blinders on. For step number two, I think gross margin is this step that we see a lot of agencies struggling with or needing to focus on, not knowing quite how to do it as they go, maybe from what we would call the deliver to the grow stage in an agency's you know journey of scale. Talk to us about step number two, Ryan. Yeah. And this is where, I mean, I'll spend maybe the most words here because this is, this is the business. If you're an agency and you're trying to earn a profit, like of course we all are, you win or lose at the gross margin stage. If you have a poor gross margin, then nothing else matters. You're not going to earn a profit, right? Like operating expenses are just simply a discipline and a budgeting exercise. And if you have a strong gross margin, I'm confident we're going to earn a profit, whether we need to make some small tweaks or not aside. So this is where the game, this is where the game is won or lost. Uh, I've described what gross margin is, what it means. I actually do have another visual that we call, let's see, ah, the margin triangle. So, oh, I was hoping you were going to bring this up. I've seen this in some is. of your other YouTube content. This is great, man. <laughs> yeah. So, and the point of the margin triangle is to demonstrate a couple things. One is if I have a gross margin, uh, I often say opportunity, not problem, but if I have a gross margin opportunity, and by the way, and, and I, I hesitate to, to spit like uh, benchmarks, especially here because agency to agency, this, this gross margin benchmark can vary dramatically for a traditional, let's say project based, uh, creative agency that 50 to 55% gross margin is a good target. Uh, if you find yourself in like, uh, you know, we have like consultancies that maybe have some staff aug, you're going to see a much lower gross margin in those businesses, like 40%. But ignoring that for a second, let's just say I'm shooting for 50% gross margin, right? Well, if I'm not there, then I have one or two or both challenges. It's either I have a utilization problem. In other words, I have people that I'm paying at my agency whose job it is to do work. They're just not doing enough of it. The amount of their time is not being utilized enough, right? And so the first question is, okay, am I hitting my utilization benchmarks? Those also can vary dramatically, but a lot of agencies have blended utilizations in like the 65%. And on the service team, it's closer to like 75%, right? So the people who are supposed to do work, are they doing work? Yes or no? And then of the work I'm doing, am I earning enough for it, right? And so here I'm calling that rate per hour. How much am I earning on the work I'm performing? You'll hear me also interchange rate per hour with project profit, which was a concept before. But really it's how much money am I making in the work I'm doing and am I doing enough of it? And it's, it's those two things. Like if I know you don't have a good gross margin, you know, for instance, if I know your gross margin is not very good and I, but I know that your project profit's good, your rate per hour's good. Well, then I know you have a utilization problem, right? Because these two things, these are directly linked to one another. And so anyway, the often an agency is here at the gross margin 
challenge. And so the question you have to ask next is, is it a utilization problem? Is it a rate per hour or a project profit problem? Or is it both? Right. And, and we can go in uh, more detail, I think, in the next section, maybe, uh, Logan, on like how we might triage these sorts of things. But this this is ultimately where most of the new clients that we work with are. And by the way, the solution to this is often not obvious. It's often not like just one thing. It's a lot. It becomes where the rubber meets the road. This because the solution to this problem looks like project management. And it's probably going to occur through several monthly cycles, maybe over the course of six yeah. months, maybe over the course of a year. It's not an easy problem to solve, but it is the business. It's the whole thing that we do here. Yeah, it's the whole thing that we do here. I, I love that. And I do think that, you know, we talked about for those who didn't see the visual on YouTube, if you're listening audibly, those steps on the hierarchy of financial needs are solvency, gross margin, cash reserves, net profit, and then predictable revenue growth. And I think, you know, three, four, and five, the cash reserves, the net profit, the predictable revenue growth, really they're unlocked by solving this one that is the business as you just put it. And I do think it's worth kind of maybe spending the rest of the time kind of diving into, you know, solving this gross margin problem with something we alluded to earlier, which is really project profitability analysis, getting into a regular rhythm of figuring that out, getting your finger on the pulse of your gross margin, and not just looking at it from kind of a lagging indicator perspective of one, either we don't know, or two, we know that it wasn't good, but we don't know why, right? Mm -hmm. How can people start to answer those two questions by going through a systematic review of project profitability, Ryan? Yeah. So great question. I got something else to share. Uh, You YouTubers are going to really love all this. If you're just listening, then you are full of visuals today, my friend. I love it. You're going to have to, if you're, if you're listening, you're going to have to just create this in your mind. But, (laughs) but the answer to this is, and I mentioned this before, look, there is no shortcut for getting down to the individual project level and understanding okay, I had a $50,000 logo project. What were my direct costs, right? And those those costs include the hours at some cost rate of the person, the people who work here. Uh, they may also include some freelancers and they may also include other out-of-pocket costs, right? The exercise here, and by the way, this visual is, this is an example. This is, the numbers are real, but they it's been sanitized. But this came from a client where they are targeting, this is a different kind of a business model. So a 50, I think they're actually targeting a 45% project profit. That's good for them. And so what we're doing is we're looking, okay, let's look at every one of your in-flight projects and ask ourselves. and by the way, we make some estimate for like where we are, how much revenue have we earned so far and how much cost have we incurred so far and how are we doing? That way we can sort of resuscitate the patient while they're still on the table and not necessarily just do a postmortem if it's behind us. So, but ultimately we look, it's, it's a very simple spreadsheet where we're making those very simple calculations. And then we're, we're asking ourselves, are we at above or below that target project profit level? And here's the magic. The magic is if not, why, right? What's going on here? And that may not be obvious to the ownership, right? It may be, it may be buried in the annals of Slack or in the brain of some PM or whatever. It, it may not be obvious to try to really understand why. It could be, again, that, hey, it could be that, you know, actually the seller kind of discounted the rate on this one because this was like a, a, a the kind of project that we really want. It's a good reference client. And so we were never going to earn a 45%. I see that all the time. It could be a matter of like, 
you know, the, the person who sold it had this kind of scope in mind. We didn't articulate it incredibly clearly. And so when the delivery team took over, they had a different thing in mind, which took more time. And that's a consistent thing that happens, but that may be the, the situation here. There's any number of possible answers and there is no shortcut to answering that individually with each project. And then, okay, project number 14. Oh yeah, we had kind of, the, the teams were on different pages. Project number 12, yeah, the teams were on different pages. Oh boy, hmm. two dots equal a line. There might be something here, right? As you start to solve individual problems, you'll develop themes and then you can create process changes and, and systematic changes, but that's only through brick by brick. There is no top-down way to do this. It's a bottoms-up way and it's by it's by doing, you know, whether you're using a system like Teamwork or you're using just good old-fashioned Google Sheets in order to, to accumulate and, and, and compare this data, it doesn't really matter. Point is, got to look at it on this level and, uh, and like I said, solve the problem brick by brick. Brick by brick from the bottom up. You can't build a brick wall from the top down, you can't. right? No, I guess that analogy really does hold. You're just dropping them. <laughs> they just <laughs> That's fall. how you drop bricks on people's heads. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, we'll link to it in the show notes, maybe here in the video as well. Uh, for folks who aren't familiar with the profitability reporting, you can do right within teamwork.com. It's a great call out. And Ryan, I, I just wanted to mention for viewers and listeners, you know, some of those common things that you see just so they could have their eyes on their radar looking for was the, even before kind of the utilization the timeline of the project, was there a discount? Was there a disconnect number two between sales and delivery? Uh, Number three, was there maybe a bad handoff and the project just didn't get started on time? Some of those might be low hanging fruit for you to be able to actually analyze the profitability of a given project and then start to uh, place those dots and see where there's a line, right? Totally. Totally. What are some of the things that you recommend for folks, Ryan, just to get into that rhythm of this project profitability analysis, you know, maybe how often to do them, how to structure them so that they don't feel like everybody's kind of pointing the finger, just some of those nuances you might call out in both like kind of the rhythm and the structure of those. Any pointers for folks before we get into our final segments? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the first a couple of things that come off the top of the head. One is, if you haven't noticed, uh, in order to do this well, you do have to have time tracking data. That is the number one. And so that's a whole separate topic. If you don't have that information, how do you enroll your team and get them to realize this is a, this is for your benefit. This is not a big brother exercise. So obviously that's important. In terms of the cadence, I think that's less important than there is a cadence. I think the worst thing you can do is, and this is just such a common way, approach to all things financial, is to say, hey, guys, this matters. We're trying to get you know margins of this. And then there's just no follow through. There's no rhythm. There's no feedback loop. And so what is the frequency of the feedback loop is going to be dependent a little bit on the duration of the project. These are like nine month projects. You don't need to look at it every week. Let's look at it every month or whatever it is. And if these are three week projects, oh yeah, we probably should check in every week or maybe even more often, because again, we, we may lose the opportunity to sort of influence the direction if we're, uh, if we're too late. So, but I, I think if nothing else, it's build the habit. It's to decide on something and it's to do it. And that will demonstrate to everyone, hey guys, this matters. And obviously the way is very important that you you articulate this to your team so they understand the why, right? And the why is not, 
again, I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking to lay people off. The why is not, Hey, you're not doing a great job. And I'm, you know, we're, we're looking for the why is like, Hey, look, we all want to build a great thing here. This is why we're here. And this is the unlock to help us do that. And so, um, anyway, those are, that's what I would say. Yeah, I love it. I think for anyone who doesn't have that foundation of the time tracking data, we did uh, a great episode on uh, the four P's of time tracking that your team won't hate. We'll link to that, uh, that previous episode, because I think that's one of those foundational things. But if you don't start with why you're doing it, how to communicate it, how to roll it out to the team, how to get your team to do it effectively, then this project profitability analysis, you're going to struggle anyway. So if you need to step back a couple of steps, there. That previous episode will help you out. All right. For everybody who's been a regular listener of Agency Life, you know that we typically end with our fast five and our good shout. Fast five. But we're going to add a new segment here. We're going to drop in a few questions because we've got a great financial mind in Ryan today. And uh, I pulled some of some of you who are engaged and connected with me on LinkedIn and some uh, offline to get some listener questions. One that came through from Amber chemist who's been a guest on the show. She's the chief operating officer at Instrumental Group. One of her questions was, how are benchmarks shifting with a global market, especially revenue per full-time employee? Would love to get your take on this one, Ryan, as I know Amber is an operations leader at a larger agency that has some operating leverage. So they're kind of looking even further down, maybe a few steps further up that hierarchy of financial needs for context. I mean, she kind of, or you kind of, one of us alluded to this idea that, yes, I mean, I think there is, you know, so we have a number of agencies who benefit from geography, right? Who have localized talent pools that may be lower cost than, you know, the coasts, for instance. And, you know, they have had periods of almost arbitrage where their clients are national, their talent base is localized. And so they're able to earn outsized margins. In general, I would say we're seeing a normalization, one, in terms of just the cost based of agencies, a small reduction. So certainly agencies like hers are, have, have greater abilities to offshore or nearshore and are able to kind of reduce their overall, you know, cost bases. What we're also seeing though is in concert with that as those, I mean, these are service-based businesses outside of their very specific niches. They're highly competitive. And so we see that as, you know, to the degree that cost, the cost bases are driving down as are pricing. And so the actual, like when I look, so when I think about the benchmarks of a business, I'm looking at the the measures of profit, like gross margin, project profit, et cetera. I'm seeing the, the price and cost drivers moving in parallel with one another, such that the benchmarks for traditional profit metrics, I'm not seeing move a lot. That would be my answer. So the composition of profit is shifting a little bit, but I would not say the results of those things are shifting a lot. Yeah. What do you mean by the composition of profit there? Just to drill them one more time. Yeah, really just the point of, hey, I may be able to produce a project for a little less money, but those those projects are coming with a little less revenue. And so yeah. I'm making the same amount at the end of the day, right? Both are moving together and at the end. They're both moving in concert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 some, I mean, I'm not saying that's like a, a across the board thing, but the sure. macro point is, and by the way, we look at benchmarks for all of our agencies. We got a hundred of them, uh, anywhere from a $40 million down to half a million dollars. And uh, so we look at these often. I would not say there's any macro trends related to, 
I'll call it like globalization, at least not in the last like 18 months. Okay. Fair enough. I think another question from Amber that really you answered in the hierarchy of financial needs. She said, what should profitability look like for different growth scenarios, growth scenarios and agency looking for acquisition versus uh, slow and steady growth? It kind of depends on where you're at there, but maybe you have something to add to that one, Ryan. Yeah, I can, I can hit it for 30 seconds, which is, I mean, here, look, here's my two cents. There's this classic, like there's this rule of 40 in uh, traditional like finance, which is the, the idea is like you take your growth rate, you add it to your profit margin and it should be 40 or better, right? So if you're growing by 30%, you do a 10% profit margin, ah, that's 40. And that's the same as a 20% growth rate and a 20% profit margin. I am maybe a contrarian on this. I think that's a little bit of a cop-out. I don't necessarily think your approach to growth should have an outsized impact on your profit for a service business. If you're a product-based company, a SaaS company, that's a different situation. If you're a service business, I mean, I, I work with north of $30 million agencies who are growing north of 20% per year and the sort of degradation of our profit margin in order to hit that is not part of the conversation. I absolutely believe that you can do both. And so, you know, again, my, my, my belief is I think once you've hit operating leverage, you should be able to achieve a 20% or in some cases, larger profit margin. And I think that can accommodate most reasonable growth scenarios outside of the polls. That's my take. Oh, good stuff. I, I love a hot take, man. All right. We've got another question from Jeremy Wellman, a good friend of mine who's the CEO over at Sweetfish Media. And this goes into some of the things that we kind of drove by a little bit of involvement with the team and yeah. how you look at profitability, time tracking. How do you get the rest of your team, you know, management down to the frontline employees to understand the financial numbers? and or, you know, their role in impacting them. Oftentimes money is a tough subject uh, in families and marriages, in service-based businesses like an agency. So what are (laughs) some of your tips on talking money, talking financial metrics with your team, Ryan? I love this question, Jeremy. It's a great question. Uh, Well, first, a couple of things real quick. One is I, I do think it is a touchy subject. And I think a lot of agency owners are reticent to share the economics of the business for any variety of reasons. Some of the reasons are like, well, I don't want them to know how much money we make. And I I think most of the reasons kind of boil down to like, we're underestimating the intelligence of these human beings. And I think we would all get to a better place if we just, you know, embrace the idea of transparency. So I'm a big fan of, of being transparent. But the question is, how do you get people to understand the numbers? The, the number one way to get them to understand the numbers is to care about understanding the numbers, right? A lot of times when you start to say, hey, let me just tell you how the agency's going or here's our Q1, the natural question is like, uh, am I getting raised? Uh, am I getting fired? Uh, no, okay, I'm gonna keep going, right? Like I'm gonna keep, I don't know how any of this stuff affects me. And because of that, I'm out. I don't, I've, I've now tuned out, right? And so you gotta answer that question for them. How does, it, how does it affect them? Why should they care? And the best way to get them to care is, well, first of all, to make sure that they understand the why, right? We just talked about like, how do you get project profit as a thing? So they have to understand the why first. And in large part, you need the folks who are running these teams, like your deputies to be accountable to and incentivized by the financial metrics, right? If it's just you or a small group of your leadership team that are incentivized by the metrics they can control, well, that's that's probably a mistake. And then the third piece, again, is it can't just be this, hand wavy thing we talk about once a year or we say is important, but we don't live that it's important. You got to create a feedback loop. You absolutely have to say, yes, this is, this matters. Here's why it matters. 
Here's how often we're going to look at it. And then we do it. And then we talk about it. And then we ask ourselves, okay, well, we did, we hit our goal. We didn't hit our goal. Why? What happened? What are we going to do next to try to do a little bit better? And guess what? A month later or however often we're going to come back and we're going to say, okay, so last time we met, we said we were going to do this. Did we do it? What happened? What's the result? Is it better? Is it worse? Now what? Like that has to be part of the DNA. Like the financial results are, you know, just imagine this, like we're, we're all trying to get in shape, right? Like running age, we're all trying to get in shape. Would we go to the, would we like run three miles every day and then not check in to say like, did that help? Like if I'm trying to lose weight, did I lose weight? Did I, would we not step on the scale? Of course we would step on the scale. Of course we would all look. So the, the idea that we wouldn't build like the financial results into a feedback loop is crazy. That's, so that's, that's the way to get them to understand is to get them to care, to make it matter. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. As Simon Sinek often says, start with why. Start with why. Yeah. We had two more questions. I'll touch on them uh, from Alex and Christopher. I got these on LinkedIn. They're very related. What's the most underrated yeah. financial metric? And what's the one financial metric you wish you could understand better? To both Alex and Christopher, I would say, you know, look at the hierarchy of financial needs. Love it. Because it really does depend. But this isn't one of those answers. And I think agencies are, you know, some of the worst at this. We can tell our clients. Well, it depends. Well, the next thing is it depends on what, right? And uh, you laid out something here, Ryan. It starts with this stair step that we called out in the visual on the hierarchy of financial needs. Do we have a problem at this step? Yes or no, right? Okay, then you move to the next one. Do we have a problem here? Yes or no, problem or opportunity? And then you look at that one metric. And so I, I do think that gross margin stands out to me as one where a lot of agencies are kind of stuck and dealing with and need to focus on and not get ahead of themselves and look at the steps further on in that hierarchy. So that's what I would call out there. And uh, I think it's time to jump into our fast five. If you're good with that, Ryan, I'm good with that. All right. Well, as we mentioned at the top, you guys aren't necessarily an agency in the typical sense, but an accounting firm, very similar in a service-based business to an agency, right? Yeah. So yeah. if someone gave you guys $10,000 a month to help you better run your service firm, where do you think you would use that today? My answer is is also like, where am I on the hierarchy of financial needs and which one do I need to invest in? And in our case, we are at repeatable revenue generation. I would say that we we do have a repeatable revenue generation engine, but when you have one of those, you know, ideally it's like a dollar into the magic box, you know, turns out $2 outside the magic box. Mm -hmm. So I would put the $10,000 in the box. That's what I would do. Yeah, I love that you tied it back into actually what we're talking about today. When yeah. you ask a you know financial expert a financial question, you get a good answer. I'm gonna answer that. <laughs> All right, right, number two. What are uh, some of your all time favorite business books, especially as it relates to running a service based business like an agency, Ryan? Yeah, so a couple. One, I um, I like, and and you know, the Thirty Seven Signals guys fallen out of favor a little bit recently. But the book that they wrote, which was "It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work," I wrote at my last. We, we all read at my last agency, and that really we loved it. Like it's just kind of the antithesis to hustle culture and the whatever. Thought that was a really cool book. The E Myth is another book that's been around for I don't know how long, decades. Crazy good, still holds up today. And then I'm actually currently reading The Psychology of Money, which isn't necessarily specific to running an agency, but uh, it speaks in, about money topics and, and, and sort of anecdotes that I haven't read before. And I, I think it just resonates. And it's really good. So 
And I think it's applicable to the conversation today I, for sure. The E Myth yeah. and the E Myth Revisited have been a uh, common ones here that, on this yeah. show. So uh, you're in good company there. Mm-hmm. As we mentioned, or you mentioned at some point, Ryan, uh, prior to serving agencies in the role that you have now at Upsource as a partner there, you've run an agency in the past. So you've, you know, as on this podcast and on our webinar series on agency life, we kind of talk about recovering agency. <laughs> folks. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. What's one mistake you made in running your agency that you're never going to forget? Well, I would say it was an ownership and a cap table issue. You know, we had, uh, you know, this, the, this, the lesson is make certain that you take very seriously partnership ownership documents. And if life circumstances change, that's totally fine. One partner wants to get out. One partner wants to come in. That's okay. But don't paper over that stuff. Make sure you get to a good resolution that everybody feels really good about in that moment. We did not do that. And then we ultimately sold our agency. And I don't think that all of us were really satisfied with the outcome of that, given the dynamics, right? We wish we could have turned back the clock and solved that problem. So... That would be one yeah. one thing I won't do it again. <laughs> Get ahead of it before it becomes <laughs> a problem right. is right. the lesson learned there. I love it, right? right. All right. right. Number four and five, I'm going to give them to you in consecutive order. Number four, what's the hardest part about agency life? And then tell us the other side of the coin, Ryan, what's the best part about agency life from your perspective? Well, I mean, the, the hardest part about agency life is just simply the business model, which again, even if you have a lot of like retention base, it's still a lot of project work. And that is, it's just, it's just stressful. Like the peaks and valleys I mentioned, it's just, it's endemic to the work we do. It's very hard to avoid. And so trying to match supply and demand. And, you know, again, we have a bunch of agencies, hundred plus, I, at least 60 some percent of them had some amount of layoffs or riffs last year. And, and that's just what happens when demand declines. And so that's tough. Like that's, they're just really, they can be very stressful uh, in high volatile environments, but the best part, and this is why we work with agencies. This is why I got in there. I mean, it just, the people, the creative, I mean, I'm a creative wannabe. Like I'm out here editing my own videos. I got the Adobe creative suite up right now. Like I know what I'm doing and I, I don't, but like I, I <laughs> know enough the, to be dangerous, right? The, just like the energy from people whose job it is to be creative for a living. Ah, there's just nothing like it. There's nothing like it. It's my favorite. I love it. I love it. All right. As we rounded out last question for you, Ryan, we want to give you the opportunity to give a shout out to someone who's impacted uh, your journey in agency life and running a client service business. Who do you want to call out here? You know, I'm going to shout out my two partners, Craig and Ryan. If they've, if nothing else, they allow me to do things like talk to you today, Logan, wouldn't be here without them. Shout out to Ryan and Craig. I love it, man. Well, this has been a great conversation. I know we started with the five things that uh, successful agencies are getting right from a financial metric perspective, but I love that we didn't just start there and say, hey, here's what good looks like. Here is how to analyze where you're at in this hierarchy of financial needs and how you can go about tackling those and tackling one of the biggest ones, which is that gross margin problem or opportunity. I love the way that you said that earlier. Ryan, we're going to link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes and the episode description, whichever way you're watching or listening to this. Anything else you want to call out for listeners of this, resources you guys might have or other ways to stay connected with you and the team at Upsourced? Totally. You can check us out at upsourcedaccounting.com. That's past tense, upsourcedaccounting.com. And uh, we've got a YouTube channel at Upsourced where we put all of our uh, all of our resources, all of our podcasts, all of our guides. So those are the two places to see us. 
I love it. Well, thank you so much for being our guest. And as always, thank you so much for listening to Agency Life or watching. Hope you got some value out of the visuals uh, that Ryan shared today. Uh, if you're not uh, subscribed to us on the YouTube channel, check out Agency Life Podcast on YouTube. And when we have guests on who are sharing great visuals, we'll make sure to make those available for those of you who have been used to listening to the audio only version of this podcast. Ryan, thanks again for being our guest and joining us on Agency Life. It was a pleasure, Logan. Thanks. You've been listening to Agency Life. And if you made it this far, you're probably enjoying the show. If so, you can help other agency leaders find the show in about 14 more seconds. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, you can simply scroll down till you see ratings and reviews and tap the number of stars you think the show deserves. We'll really appreciate it. And so will the other agency leaders who find the show based on your rating. And if you're looking for even more content to support your agency life journey, check out teamwork.com slash agency life. There you can search through past episodes, get access to the agency life newsletter and find additional video content to support and inspire you as you continue on this crazy roller coaster ride that is agency life.